Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Old Masters Podcast. I'm Liam. And I'm Lizzie. I hope you enjoy listening to today's episode. Sandy Olson is a retired professor of clinical neurology emirates at Northwestern's Feinberg Medicine School in Chicago. She graduated and took her training at Northwestern and went into practice there. She was involved in teaching and served on many committees and became the first woman chief of staff. She was also very involved in local societies, such as Chicago Medical Society and Illinois State Medical Society, of which she became the first women president of each in separate years. She also became the first woman president of the American Academy of Neurology. Sandy graduated from Purdue in 1959 with a BS in pre-med. She enjoyed her time at Purdue and was very active in many clubs and organizations while there, including being co-chair of the Old Masters program her senior year. One of her most interesting experiences she had was riding a horse through campus to advertise a play that was being staged, which had a Western theme. Sandy married Ron Olson in 1967, and they had two children, Ron Jr. and Kirsten. Ron Sr. was a judge in Cook County and was an avid photographer. Son Ron Jr. is also a skilled photographer and has followed his dad in this hobby. His day job is in IT at the Law Bulletin Media. Unfortunately, Kirsten, an assistant state attorney, died in May 2022. So let us welcome today Dr. Sandra Olson. Dr. Olson, it is so great to have you here. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be there. Awesome. Well, so we're just going to start today with some of our rapid fire questions. This portion of the podcast is just some Real quick questions so the audience and we uh, can get to know you a little bit better. Are you ready? I'm all set. Well, let's get started. Where do you call home right now? Chicago, Illinois. Where did you grow up? East Chicago, Indiana. What did you study at Purdue? I studied pre-med. Why did you choose to attend Purdue? My first year of college was at St. Mary's of Notre Dame, which I enjoyed very much. But my dad died. And St. Mary's was very expensive. And plus, St. Mary's did not have Mm pre-med. So I thought, this is not right. I should go to some school where they have pre-med and where it'll be a lot cheaper. It won't be Mm -hmm. a big burden on my mother family. And uh, my sister had gone to Purdue and had Mm -hmm. graduated from Purdue. So I was familiar with the campus and the layout and that. So I decided, well, Purdue would be a great fix. So I applied and was accepted. So I was very happy about that. So that's that's an incredible story. Well, what is something that people might not know about you that you're proud of? Well, I married a great man who was an attorney and became a judge. I had two wonderful children. Unfortunately, one is deceased. And I have a lovely family uh, of my sons with his great daughter-in-law, Jenna, and his two children. There are two children. One just graduated from Illinois in engineering and is going into oceanography. And the other is just starting school at Columbia College here in Chicago. I'm very proud of them. And uh, my family, because that mean that means a lot to me. And people may not know other things that I do. I play golf. Have I? Unfortunately, right now, balance is off, so I can't play too much. But I take lessons. I used to play the piano. I used to sing, and I have a pretty good voice. I took voice lessons, and when I went to St. Mary's, you try out 
for girls chorus, I guess it was. Well, I they put me in that. They put me in madrigals, which is 14 mm. singing, and they put me in scola, which we sang at church. So suddenly I was just sight unseen put in these three things. So anyway, that's my singing. I at one time considered going into stage and screen acting. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of like that. So people may not know that about me either. Tell us about one of the most influential people in your life and how they affected your career after Purdue. Okay. Well, my professors at Northwestern in neurology, the head of the department, Dr. Boschus, uh, with whom I later went into practice, and mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Hughes, who's my mentor in electroencephalography. I took a fellowship in that. Dr. Brumlick who is in charge of us. Those are the professional people that I can think of right off the bat. Plus mm-hmm. there were other people, Dave Drockman, for example, um, was another one. Is Ziven. Is Ziven was one of my teachers. He was at Evanston Hospital, but came down town and was an attendant at a clinic and that and is was really is was a great neurologist a great teacher and very funny <laughs> I, I learned a lot of yiddish words from him so <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome uh, what would you say is your favorite thing to do in your free time favorite thing to do in my free time yes well, back then you know i'm retired now <laughs> of course so i basically have free time uh-huh. um but back when I was working in that, uh, I enjoy cooking uh, for the family. And I, I used to go to the opera a lot. I was the first opera doctor that they had here in Chicago at Lyric. And, awesome. Uh, yeah, so I I really enjoyed going to the opera. I went with my sister because mm-hmm. she loved opera too. Mm-hmm. Those were some very very nice times I had. What would you say, whether this could be a professional or just sort of a life accomplishment, what would you say is your proudest accomplishment? Well, you got to say your family. And apart from the family, I think maybe my proudest was becoming president of the American Academy of Neurology. I was the first woman. That was something that I, I aspired to it, obviously. And I I just, um, I felt out of all the neurologists that I was to be president. And I thought that was really quite an honor and a very humbling experience too. I guess I could say that. Of course. Well, sort of going back to your Purdue days, what would you say was your favorite Purdue organization uh, to be a part of? Well, Old Masters was one. I was in the for two years, and I was a co-chairman my senior year. Mm-hmm. And that was very rewarding, and that was very enjoyable. I belonged to a lot of different organizations at Purdue. Another one was Mortar Board. I was very happy, and we had a lot of camaraderie and neat things that we did in Mortar Board. They- well, going back to Old Masters, do you want to speak at all about your time at Old Masters as a student? When I was, well, my first year, I for Guy Hawley. He was a very nice man. 
and I enjoy taking him to the different um, sessions and that and listening to what he had to say because he was a very smart man, a very nice man, and a humble man. And he he had a lot of good things to say. And he said them very well. When I was a co-chairman, my co-chair was a great guy. And we enjoyed meeting the dean. Odie Roberts was the dean at that time. And Walt Kelly, who drew Pogo, was one of the old masters. And Walt Kelly drew some cartoons of Odie Roberts and uh, Pogo in that for the group. I still have them, my scrapbook. So as I said, being involved with the old masters was just really such, it was so rewarding for me. And the other thing that helps you with a program like that, you're dealing with people who have made it and who are professionals. And I, here I am, I'm a, I'm a college student, you know? But you learn some skills of planning and professionalism that ordinarily I don't think you'd necessarily learn and use. It's a higher level that you seem to participate in. It's kind of a full circle moment. Like you learned from these professionals that you met those years mm -hmm. ago at your time at Purdue. And now you're coming back, meet these new students and give similar advice to them. So I think that's a really cool full circle moment. Yeah. That is the end of our rapid fire question. So we're going to get in to more of, you know, the long ended question. Okay. So um, if you could give us a 60 second elevator pitch about yourself, maybe if we forgot anything that you'd like to mention or just anything you'd like to mention about yourself. Well, okay, thank you. I am an, a retired neurologist. I was a neurologist at Northwestern and I'm a professor of clinical neurology emeritus. I uh, went to Purdue and got my undergraduate degree and then I went to Northwestern and got my medical degree, took my uh, MD training and fellowship in EEG. And then I went into practice. I was fortunate to join the um, head of the departments because one of the people from that office departed and went to Loyola as chairman of neurology at Loyola. And so I did that and I did, I did EEG reading because I had a fellowship in it. So I went on, I became involved, the uh, Chicago Neurological, the Illinois State Medical Society, the Chicago Med Medical Society, Chicago Neurological, but also the National Organization, the American Academy of Neurology, belonged to a fair amount of committees there and became president of that, which was, um, I thought, a culmination of really uh, great participation. I was a member of the uh, AMA and a delegate from Illinois to the AMA and a member of the um, the uh, education committee. So I participated in a lot of these different organizations and was fortunate enough to be. So it was really my interest. I'm a joiner. 
some people are not joiners and I am a joiner. And so it was very fulfilling, you know, with all of this. So it's really impressive. The career you had is very, very impressive. Speaking of your successful career in medicine, uh, you were very successful. Um, and But especially in a time where many women uh, were not in that field, uh, what were some obstacles that you faced and how did you overcome those obstacles to create this really successful career? Well, you know, first of all, I think there were hidden obstacles that I didn't see or per perceive. So I can't speak to them because I don't know what they were. Mm -hmm. But first of all, to get into medical school, as a woman, you had to have really good grades. And uh, mm -hmm. I was told when I went to Purdue, the we met with the dean, my mother and I, and the dean said, well, you have to have at least a 5.5 to get into medical school. So I was told right off the bat, you better study, kid. You better get good grades. And I admit to being a grade watcher. But another thing in medical school, for example, I had a professor who could be kind of, shall we say, off color. And some of that was directed, uh, one, one particular remark one day was directed clearly to me. Everybody picked up on it. And I didn't react. I just sort of sat there. Mm -hmm. looking back was really the smart thing to do and a couple of the guys mentioned to me afterwards they didn't think too much of that remark but you know again being singled out as the woman and kind of put on the spot was something well fortunately as I said I just let it go whether or not I was asked or told not to see patients because they didn't want to see me only happened one time. The uh, attending, it was an attending physician, I was a resident, and the attending physician was very apologetic about it and said that this patient would really rather not see me. And I just said, fine, you know, good, that cross that one off the list. <laughs> So, you know, that that wasn't exactly an obstacle, but it was clearly because I was a woman. Mm -hmm. so that. And there were times when <clears throat> guys would get together, do various things, and I wasn't there, included. And there were times when I was. I can think of those, and they're pretty gentle. Northwestern Medical School, had a reputation for being good to women and not putting them down particularly. So that was, that's one of the things even that drew me to Northwestern. About what I can think of is the obstacles. I'm sure there were more. I'm sure there were ones that I didn't see or know Personally, as someone who is pursuing medicine, um, I want to know what drew you to a career in medicine and specifically what led you to choose your specialty? Well, first of all, I lived across the street from a doctor and I was just sort of interested in what he did and that sort of thing. It just 
was a, an interest. And I realized I was interested in science. And of course, the usual, I wanted to help people. I wanted to, to do something uh, to make the world better. And so um, I changed my ideas a lot along the way. History, speech, uh, whatnot. But I, find, I just always came back to medicine. It was just always the same thing. So um, I, as I said, I, I liked the science and um, went into it. And then in neurology, we had neuroanatomy my freshman year. Uh, and well, a professor used to bring in patients and demonstrate their problems, et cetera. And I just found that fascinating. I just, it was just so interesting that I decided, hey, I want to go into that, you know, and the anatomy of the nervous system fascinated me. So that's, that's the answer. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm similar. One of my majors is neurobiology. So I do a lot of looking at, you know, neurons and all the mm -hmm. anatomy and it's, it's fascinating and it's really cool to see applications of neurologists in real life and see what you mm -hmm. guys do to help patients. Cause it's really amazing. Well, and now we can do so much more that that's, what's exciting about neurology is the bulge into the frontier really, uh, you know, the nervous system and, and what is going on and then, whoops, and the knowledge we have. It's great. I still get the neurology journals. I still or peruse the bottom line usually of a lot of articles to get the stuff. But, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's still, it's, it's still your interest. You just kind of never lose it. At least I've never lost that. Okay. Seeing people get better or be more stable or whatnot. For example, take a Parkinson patient. You're not going to cure that. But you can give them the right medicines. You can encourage them. You can send them to physical therapy. You can do other things to help them. And they come back and they're better. Same with somebody with MS or whatever. You take a migraine patient. A patient who loses time at work, loses home time, get them on the medicine and they're better. Boy, there's nothing like that. There's just nothing like that. The other thing I like is the students, teaching the students and the residents about neurology. And I was fortunate in that I volunteered, if you will, to take students for their neurology clerkship, which was six weeks, into my office. So it was a one-on-one -on -one experience. Now, these kids were self-selected, so they were interested. But they were so much fun to deal with. And they were able to, for example, work up a lot of patients and see a lot of stuff. And as I said, in the, the personal way, 
and that was that that's fun and of course dealing with the residents and students is fun anyway that's really rewarding you know and you were just talking about being a professor um, do you want to tell us more about that or you know what what was your favorite part about being a professor well I was a professor of clinical neurology that meant I was clinical I wasn't in the lab or something like that but again it was it's the teaching part but at Northwestern, to be on the staff at Wesley, the time that I joined, you had to have a an appointment at the medical school. So you started out, you know, as an instructor and then as an assistant professor and on up the line. And so we we all were involved in teaching. But that's what being a professor is about, you know teaching, as far as I was concerned. So how do you believe Purdue prepared you for such a successful career? Well, Purdue was great school. And our pre-med curriculum was actually, the, in, in Indiana, the, the school that was noted for going to medical school was Indiana University, because they had the medical school. And Purdue, I would say to people, I'm studying pre-med at Purdue, and they say, well, I didn't know Purdue had pre-med. Yeah, they did. It was a smaller group, but it was, we had a more, to my understanding, we had a more rigorous schedule than Indiana. We had to take more hours. Now, being a transfer student, from a liberal arts college, liberal arts college, which was all I had there, uh, was a little different because I had to make all that up in three years, whereas the others were four years. At times, several rather more rigorous classes. Uh, but just one more question, uh, and this one for sort of the upcoming hosts that uh, could be hosting you in the future. Uh, what would you say, what would the best advice, especially somebody that has been uh, through the program and is now going to come back as an old master, what would what advice would you give to the uh, future hosts of the old master's program? Okay. First of all, find out about your old master, because you're going to host. Find out about him so you know about him. Second of all, don't try to be them. In other words, when you go around and they go to various sessions and one thing and another, you sit in the background. You're not there to be them. The spotlight is on them. Mm -hmm. And so be respectful. Be respectful also of the audience, of your fellow students. And do whatever your uh, old master wants. But, you know, there's there's etiquette to being an old master, too. People are interested in what you have to say. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there, I assume. And they're interested probably in how you achieved whatever you achieved. And you want to tell them. There's a mutual symbiotic relationship. And it's important that that be honored. That is some great advice. I know our hosts will really appreciate, especially coming from someone who has been the program through many different phases. But on more of a fun tangent for the last question, 
We were wondering if you could tell us about your most interesting case that you worked on or your favorite one that you've worked on in your career as a doctor. My patient was HS. Hazel had been diagnosed with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis back in the 40s by one of the great neurologists that we had and teacher of mine. And when he died, I inherited Hazel. Well, you're talking about now going on 25, 30 years. Well, ALS doesn't last that. And Hazel still had a lot of function. And she didn't seem to deteriorate much until, unfortunately, she had a stroke. But that was beside the point. But she was remarkable. You've, you've all seen Stephen Hawking mm -hmm. and how he lived for his wasting uh, disease, whatever it was, akin to ALS. Well, she was like that. And it drove me crazy. Why? How? Where is it? We're in the spectrum of that type of illness is this and why has she lasted so long so that to me was fascinating i never have forgotten her i have never i can still place her in her room at northwestern and i can still see her and hear her but i it's just it's a fascinating thing and People are working on that. I know somebody in Colorado who's very interested in that. And again, these are the kinds of things in neurology that draw you to neurology and sometimes drive you nuts because of thinking about them. And th this is just one example. But believe me, there are more. So I think. That's awesome. And as someone who's also passionate, it's so cool to hear you talk about. It. But that's all the questions we have for today. We want to thank you for taking the time out of your, your day to be with us and share your insights and knowledge. And we're so excited to see you again in the fall. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure when we finish, I'll think of a lot more things that I think I should have said, right? Believe me. That's okay. You'll have time to talk to the greater audience when we do Evening with the Old Masters. You've been listening to season two of the Old Masters podcast, where we hear words of wisdom from past Boilermakers who have made great strides in their fields. Connect with the 2023 Old Masters class by attending this year's Evening with the Old Masters on Monday, November 6th at 5.30 p.m. Special thanks to our Old Masters podcast guests, our Old Masters advisors, Juno Matsuda-Johnson and Margie Jones, our Old Masters prom promotional officers and podcast producers, Parcia Bahrami, Ali Boyle, Martha Hunter, and Vivian Schmall, and the 2023 Old Masters Central Committee.